We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the Firefly episode number two, The Train Job. It's Unification Day, the happy celebration of the victory of the Alliance over the brown-coated rebels. And Mal and Zoe, two former browncoats, spend their time in a pro-unification bar. Mal is clearly itching for a fight, and he gets one, a fight he would have foolishly lost his life over if Wash didn't fly into the rescue with the ship. They leave for their next job that they have lined up. The Serenity and her crew arrive at a Skyplex to take on a job from a highly unsavory character, Nishka. Times are tough, and you have to take jobs where you can find them. Nishka tells them about the job. It's a train robbery of supplies to be stolen from the Alliance. He also demonstrates just how nasty he will be to them if they fail by showing them the trussed-up corpse of the last person who didn't do what he wanted. No problem. Mal is a professional and a man of his word, and he has no compunctions about stealing from the Alliance. They're the enemy, after all. The heist goes mostly to plan, with Mal and Zoe on the train managing to get Jane aboard and hoist the stolen goods aboard the awaiting serenity overhead. But there's a squad of Alliance troopers on the train. Mal and Zoe aren't caught, per se, but they can't get off the train either, and must ride it to the next stop, where everyone is detained for questioning. They also learn that the materials they stole were essential medical supplies for the folks living in the town of Paradiso. As the deadline to make the swap with Nishka approaches, a wounded Jane wants to abandon Mal and Zoe and make the appointment. The others, with Simon's help, eventually convince him to wait. Inara comes into town and, using her high-class position as a companion, convinces the sheriff that Mal is her runaway indentured man, and they are released into her custody. Now free to make the appointment, albeit a little late, Mal announces they're not going to make the swap. He won't take medicine from the settlers, Possibly because the locals don't care for the Alliance? None too sure on that. Nishka's men's didn't take the late appointment well and came looking for the stolen goods. A fight breaks out with the crew of the Serenity eventually winning. After some gentle persuasion, Nishka's men take the down payment money back to Nishka with a message from Mal. We'll try to stay out of your way from now on. Mal returns the medicine but is caught by the sheriff. Having overheard that Mal was returning the medicine, he lets him go because he knows times are tough and you have to take jobs where you find them. Just sometimes a man can't stomach the job when he knows it's wrong. Meanwhile, men in blue gloves are searching for River. Okay, uh, this is, um, uh, add out here. I think we mentioned it last time when we talked about uh, the, the first, the pilot, the 92-hour whatever minute pilot it was. <laughs> um, it's not two hours, but it would have filled a two-hour window, but it's really more like 90 minutes. You know, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's that, definitely not 92 hours. This this um, was shown first. The train job was shown first, as is... Yes, some... this is the second first episode of Firefly, in effect. And a lot of my criticisms of the first episode, or a lot of the things that were in my mind during the first episode, are very explicitly cleared up here with the opening narration. The Alliance is bad. Remember, I didn't, couldn't get that out of the first episode. 
Wait, how do we know the Alliance is bad? They're, they are, well, I'll read the narration. After the Earth was used up, we found a new solar system and hundreds of new Earths were terraformed and colonized. The central planets formed the Alliance and decided that all the planets had to join under their rule. Makes them, that's implying they're the aggressor. There was some where, disagreement where, on where's that Where's that from? That is from Book's opening narration. You don't have Book's opening narration, do you? I don't believe I do. I read something about this online that the DVDs don't have that, but apparently the streaming does. How bizarre. There is different narration at the beginning of most of the episodes, but not the pilot. All right, well, well, let me finish it then. There is no, narr there's no narration, to my recollection, in any of them. Ah, yeah. There's, it's, um, I have a webpage. There, there was no narration at the start of the pilot on the Correct. Blu-ray. There is no start on Serenity at all. There isn't one. And I looked through the notes. There's three different versions of the narration. One's read by Book, and two of them are read by Mal. And they're subtly different, and they use different ones on different episodes. And they apparently put them on the beginning of every episode, except for uh, Serenity. You mean and, a sort of standard narration beyond yeah. the police, outside the government kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, let, me, let me, let me, I'll, I'll restart it. It's not that long. This is Book speaking. Right. After the Earth was used up, we found a new solar system and hundreds of new Earths were terraformed and colonized. The central planets formed the Alliance and decided all the planets had to join under their rule. There was some disagreement on that point. After the war, many of the independents who had fought and lost drifted to the edges of the system, far from Alliance control. Out here, people struggled to get by with the most basic technologies. A ship would bring you work. A gun would help you keep it. A captain's goal was simple. Find a crew, find a job, keep flying. Well, it's, well, All that say, changes. it's kind of unnecessary. But you're, you're saying you found it helpful. I, I Well, I did because, like I said, when I watched Serenity, I didn't see anything evil on behalf of the Alliance. They were two sides of, of a philosophically opposed uh, governments, and they got into a war, and that's not... Like I said, they seem like the North and the... And the uh, the um, the brown coats seem like the South in the American Civil War, and they're not the good guys. The South, <laughs> it's like, and here though, I mean, and yes, we have the little bit about the thing that River was put in, but I wasn't a hundred percent clear that that was truly a government institution as opposed to you know secret corporate black. Uh, who knows? But but here, this yeah. basically is saying you. They're bad guys. The Alliance are the bad guys. We're the we're the oppressed poor sods that they stomped on. And okay, so it does change my position on the on the uh, show now. For, just well, to, okay, but that's based on the narration. So let me ask you a question: Who's supplying medicine to the settlers? The Alliance. That's right. I, I have that. I have that here. But they're also completely and utterly indifferent when they ask for help. Nah, the troops were going off to do some things, so don't bother to help them. So th th we're presented with two different... There is a little bit in this story that makes me think the Alliance is less than sympathetic in the actual story itself. But at the same time, yeah, they're the ones supplying but, medicine. So it, it's not black and white. This narration makes it more black and white. Yeah, I, which I, I'm not a big fan of, I have well, to say. Well, you're never a fan of narration. If we could get Darren McGavin to do this, would it make any difference? <laughs> <laughs> But it, it clearly, it's very interesting that Fox apparently had that added. And my guess is, and I don't know, I haven't researched it, but I will now. Because I, I did, 
I did see a couple of posts online where because I wanted to I wanted to get this narration down exactly right because it to make my point and I was thought oh, I could transcribe this or I could find somebody on the internet <laughs> that's already done this work for me and so I did a quick search and the first post up was I've got the DVDs so I don't know what the narration says what what is it what does he say at the beginning of the episodes and then somebody obliges them and I'm like huh all right that's interesting but typically that would mean to me that Joss Whedon didn't like the narration and removed it for the DVDs. I guess. I mean, there yeah. is no, I there is no mention of the narration in the commentary. Um, so, and as you, as you will know, with me and me and DVDs, it's fairly unusual for me to actually bother to listen to the commentary um, since I find it a bit like watching paint dry. But since it's Firefly, I thought well. <laughs> I will on this one, but that's uh, that I can tell you is one thing there is no mention of. And clearly there are things that the studio and Whedon disagreed over, mm -hmm. which is also one of the reasons why we have a second episode one here. So I, you know, I guess the co the commentary is just down to being another of those things where the the vision that Whedon had wasn't as clear cut. I mean, you say black and white. So one of the things that's different about this episode, as opposed to Serenity, is that it's much more of a heroic action story than the first one. Hmm. And that's because the the that's what the network thought they were getting. They thought they were getting a sort of action adventure. And that wasn't what Whedon thought he was delivering. I can, I can easily imagine that. That's, that's pretty common. Um, networks, and, you know, and and I have this discussion with Ben all the time, uh, particularly over the older stuff. You know, there is a there's a almost a contempt, or there has been for a long, long time at at networks and at production companies over science fiction. They're mm -hmm. happy to produce it, but they don't really think of it as anything other than guys with space pistols shooting at each other. <laughs> you know that they're they're more Star Wars, which is frankly empty-headed popcorn, as opposed to Star Trek, which often addresses things of import uh, and can be empty-headed popcorn too. I'm not I'm not trying to to completely diss it, but you know Star Wars is just shoot them up and blast people and hack them up and blasters and explosions and stuff, and it it has no deeper resonance than that. And that's what networks typically want, because you know that's what the that's what the kids want. Or, or it seems that way. They, they don't care. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. They don't care if it, if it says anything. They don't, they don't, all they care about is, you know, guns and space and blowing up and stuff, which, you know, I can see this whole Western thing not being exactly what they were keen on either, except maybe they no, thought it would they, play better in, you know, in, in the Midwest or, or in the South or something. Um, well, I, th I, th I mean, you alluded to the, to the fact that Westerns haven't, haven't been on TV for a number of years. Right. And so that was certainly one of the things that the network was jittery about. And there are no horses in this one. Well, apart from in the opening credits, which apparently is one one shot of horses that the networks were okay with. Well, networks, <laughs> Fox. Yes. <laughs> I, they you saw know, that shot of the horses and they went, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I like a nice horse. I, I And the other thing I'll say that um, in our in our discussions that we're having uh, or have been having uh, Ben and I on Battlestar Galactica Battlestar Galactica is a show that was not written the original was not written 
science fiction in mind either. There's a lot of a lot of what was done in that store was done to play to Midwestern and and Southern uh, non-science fiction audiences. So there's a lot of several episodes that are just ripped right out of westerns. You know, they're just they have horses in them. You know, they have cowboy hats and saloons and the whole nine yards. They just you know paint them silver so they're space horses and saloons and cowboy hats <laughs> so uh and that that's particularly rankling too but uh, there is this there is this mindset that you know the the futuristic stuff is just a lot of people just can't handle that they're i, I don't want to say stupid but you know that that is that seems to be the level of contempt that they hold their audiences in a lot of times so I, you know i could i could absolutely see the networks having a different idea of what was going on here because if if nothing else i think joss whedon is steeped well enough in the fanishness that he probably had higher aspirations than just a shoot him up to make money yeah. so i don't know i've never talked to the guy but that just that's kind of my impression based on the type of work that he's done he he, he seems oh to be yeah a little no more, yeah I, I don't i don't think that's what gets him out of bed and obviously the networks are particularly focused on ratings among a particular demographic and therefore their input is going to be around whether or not that is going they think that is going to appeal obviously they do get taken by surprise but um yeah we'll we'll never know if they had treated this better whether they would actually have hit their demographic well, this um, this is and, this is fascinating that the, the, the narration non-narration thing almost derails derails my opening premise is that this is a better opening episode than serenity apart or 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 is it that's, a, that's literally what my notes say this is a better opening episode <laughs> or is it and because in many ways when i watched this one i was you know it's like okay mal's side is on the sympathetic side now they're not the they're not the now this is now admittedly this is when i'm getting to the end of the narration then by the time they get to the bar and 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 it's it's not the bar it's the immediate after the bar okay um <laughs> it's like but you know I, i've got a much better feel i the the science fiction is still bad we just went to a new solar system and terraformed hundreds of new planets sure why not um <laughs> We have all that technology, but then by the end, we just scrap them out with horses on the out, outer. I, I, I'm still not buying that, but um, I, I want to say Mal is more sympathetic in this episode, but in many ways, he's not to me. Okay. I, I, yeah, well, that's, I, an int- that's an interesting. I think I identify. I, I think I've begun to identify why I drifted off this show when I started watching it. Um, I don't like Mal, despite the fact that he does the right thing at the end. Sort of. Um, I, I don't like him. You know, he goes into that bar, and sure, in the scene, when he's in the bar, he's sitting there having a peaceful drink with Zoe and Jane. It's a nice, peaceful drink, and there's some blowhard, and I admit he's absolutely a jerk-off blowhard, up there going on about Unification Day and da-da-da-da-da to the point where, you know, okay. So Mel goes to the bar, and he happens to go to the bar next to the guy, and then the guy starts getting belligerent and, and up to a point, Mal seems to keep washing off. And you're like, you know, good job, Mal. Good for you. And then Zoe conks him and they get into a huge fight. And then the last thing and they're about to be killed and Wash comes along. And you think, well, you got lucky. Yeah, sure. You called the ship in. It's not saying thing, but you could easily have been killed over something incredibly stupid here. It's when they get back on the ship and 
And so he says to him, yeah, how come it happens to be that on every unification day you end up in a pro-unification bar? It's like he's doing it on purpose. Absolutely. He it's is, not a he's one of, of those jerks that bar. does that Why are they stuff? in that bar in the first place? Yeah. Well, you, you don't necessarily get that. I, I, don't, I don't go to bars, so therefore I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know there are certain types of bars that cater to certain types of people. I don't know how you spot those. Um, I don't know how you, you go, I think I'm going to go find that bar that is pro-unification bar. I, I, I don't know how he does that, but I could see how you could just go, there's the bar. Certainly when my dad would go to bars, I don't think he paid any attention. He said, there's a bar. I want to go to that bar. And <laughs> so, <clears throat> which is my experience just with bars. just a gut instinct, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have heard some stories about my dad about going into the wrong bars. Um, but, um, but to know that he's doing it on purpose, then suddenly... <laughs> it's like that's dumb it, it it's it's belligerent and it's dumb and it's dangerous and he could easily have been killed over something really stupid because that fight would not have won the war for him all it would have done was get him killed or a little satisfaction and and i i, I don't like that in a character that, that's a major character flaw in my opinion in in that character so i uh that's three wrong foots me i mean i I do like that in, in the. I, it's a very it's a very Western kind of thing to, you know, walk into a bar. I mean, there the could have been saloon doors flapping and everyone going silent, mm. but it's it's that thing of spoiling for a fight, and that's definitely a Western trope, and it indicates that Mal is a violent man, and he is frustrated by the circumstances he finds himself in, which came about because his side lost the war. And this is like a, a, a release for his violence, I guess. Do you see the guy in the black hat that walks in spoiling for a fight in a bar, though? So you started this line of thought by saying that you found Mal more sympathetic in this episode. In some ways. And, and I have a question about it. The sympathetic part comes at the end when he finds out the job that he's doing. For starters, we have the whole premise, which is beat over our heads repeatedly through this episode. You do whatever job you can get because times are tough. Illegal, not illegal, doesn't matter. I mean, if he has no respect for the government, per se, then, you know, what, what is your respect for, for legality? I steal from the alliance. So what? I don't care. Right? It's yeah. the alliance. But uh, we, had that in, we had that in it, yeah, Serenity. Yeah. We did have some of that in Serenity. And here we have, um, you know, it, it's it's not until he knows what it is. And I'm not 100% sure it's not until he knows who it is that he decides that the right thing to do is to not deliver on this deal. Right. So the, the sheriff makes pretty clear with Mal's comments that they don't care about the Alliance. Got no, haven't got much use for them around these parts which is obviously a lie since they supply you with the medicines you need to survive. But... Oh, uh, yeah, but, I mean, but, come on. How many how many people say, oh, I haven't got much use for the government while picking up their welfare check or getting their NHS treatment or whatever? Right. Well, ab absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But it just shows that the town folk, or at least the, as reflected by the sheriff, are probably browncoat sympathizers. Would that have made a difference? If they'd had their Unification Day banners up in the sheriff's office... Would Mal have been as inclined to return the medicine? Probably not. See, I'm like sick women see, and children. Well, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. The, one of the things about about this uh, this version of the episode 
was it this this version of the pilot i guess because it's sort of a second it's it's an in, it's another introductory episode in the sense that you know we go through a whole lot of exposition with it and yeah. we get a little bit for each character going over what we learned in serenity but one of the differences and one of the things that i think was probably prompted at the request of fox is that mal is more of a heroic figure in this and i don't think that was the original intention so one of the things that Whedon says is that if they hadn't made this the pilot if they hadn't had to do a second introductory episode they would probably have told this story but it wouldn't have been told in the same way and they they wanted to go darker with it which is why I think you find Mal less sympathetic in Serenity not that there's no there's no sort of humor in serenity but this is there's more there's more levity in this and then there and then there is this resolution where he doesn't he doesn't he thinks that he he wouldn't have returned it in the version that they would have made without the network's intervention and there are still some dark bits and i think they are quite effective for example when they are sending the message Mm. back to niska and mal just kicks the guy into I mean, I don't know what that does for the actual jets. Presumably not much good. <laughs> on a plane, it wouldn't be much good. I'm, I'm thinking a spaceship, they're just so durable that nothing. I don't know. I hope. He's got Kaylee to fix it. Anyway, it's 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 a it's a pretty... Um, it, it's a moment which tells you something about how life is valued amongst these outlaws. Yes. yes here's, another, in- here's, an, here's another thing that um, only occurred to me sometime after seeing this episode which I have never really thought about Firefly before, but seems to me in some ways a really key parallel, which is the, which is the whole Robin of Loxley thing. Here's a man who has been fighting for his country, his values, and when he returns, his country rejects him. Okay, it's not, a, not an exact parallel, but he, he, is a, he is then at odds with his government. So he finds himself an outlaw, having you know having been a a man of, of rank and he has now with him this band of merry men and women who are mostly similarly outlaws except inara and maybe shepherd book mm. uh, okay um yeah i can kind of say i mean i i can kind of see well there are so many of of this sort of type i could see blake seven here um it's not Blake Seven, though, because no, it's it, not. he's not—he's not an ideologue like Blake. No, but isn't well? I don't know. Isn't sort of Robin Hood, sort of is too. Robin Hood is much more, I think, than Mal is, and and that's that's why I think the way in which this episode actually does work out with Mal deciding to give the give the folk their medicine after all is you know the diff, the thing where the Robin Hood parallel doesn't work is basically. He's normally in it for himself, mm-hmm. but we have we have discussed the fact that he does have a code. So while it may not be steals from the rich, gives to the poor, it is nonetheless more of a a, a kind of a moral stance than say the Jane just literally what's in it for me perspective on everything. Let me ask this question: He kills the guy. Very, very quickly, very subtly, (laughs) suddenly, um, to send a message to the next henchman, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, 
particularly in the old days. Again, you know, we're in, when we're watching this show, we're talking about a transition time in American television. And um, in the past, he could kill that guy. No problem. Well, maybe not in cold blood, but for the person to maintain his position as a hero, we have to either have him kill the person in a fair fight, or we have to have demonstrated that the person was absolutely a guilty killer, which we know about the guy he kicks into the thing because he mm-hmm. appears to be the guy that carved up the, the body there in the back. So, I mean, he's he, he's already guilty and dead, so it's okay. If that had been the sheriff that he had to kick back through there, that would never have flown, even if that was what he needed to do to send the message. And I don't, I, I don't know whether that was network meddling. <clears throat> and just because he's a henchman to the bad guy doesn't mean that he deserves to die, but because he's the henchman who kills people to the bad guy, he can die. That, that's a fairly common American TV trope. Okay, but I but I th- but I think your answer actually is in Serenity because you have the the um, oh, I forget his name, but the the Alliance agent oh, who, right. is the, who is the third passenger who has obviously Mal also kills him very suddenly. But he was holding a gun on somebody. But he was, yes. So that was so, that's that's the out. That's the good guy out. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we can see that's where they're prepared to draw the line with mal even without the network interference okay here's my next well okay so maybe this question has been answered then um and and, but i'll i'll pose it anyway because i have it written down here did mal grow in this episode did he did he learn his lesson um about the medicine or was this his predefined code would have kicked in once he found the facts out does does that make sense so in other words is it is it because he was captured and brought to the people and and had to sit around watching him all cough and choke and and that he turned his hard cynical heart around and decided to give them the medicine or and that's a new thing for him that never would have happened before or is that his code that pushed over the line of his pre-existing code and he goes oh, okay now i have to give them medicine back is that I mean, it sounds like the producers would have preferred him not to give it back in the first place but now that it's the way it is is this him growing or is this just us learning about the way he is well it's an interesting question i couldn't tell (laughs) now that that's that's part of it the the whole thing where they keep going on and on about how you know times are tough you got to take whatever job you can get sometimes those jobs are illegal i mean at least three or four people three or people Three or four people said that during the episode. I, I'm, uh, the sheriff said it. The, the the Mal said it. The sheriff said it. The sheriff said it. Mal said it. Kaylee said it. Was it Kaylee who said it to the the preacher, or was it Inara? It was Inara who said it. Might, it. it might, yeah, it might have been because there's de- there's definitely um, there are again this this comes about because it's a a new introduction episode. There are scenes that are very exposition heavy and certainly the scene between Inara and Shepherd Book is one that you think that that just wouldn't have happened there are, there are others where like when Simon asks Kaylee so what are you doing and she smiles at him and says prime I think well that's that's all right that's that's exposition yes but fairly minimal and it's a good character moment so it's just yeah I just I I, I felt like they were making sure you understood that you know this is what people have to do in in this world and and we could draw some we could draw more parallels, perhaps, to the Reconstruction period of the United States post-Civil War. Um, I'm, I'm by far no expert 
on it and tried to forget as much of it as I could in history class. But, you know, it wasn't a good time for the South. Um, you had conflicting... You had conflicting people in control in the North who either wanted to, you know, be nice to them and bring them back into the fold. And then you had other people in power who wanted to crush them under their heel for having the effrontery to be uh, rebellious. Um, And, you know, waves of different policy would come across from Washington and it would affect the way things were going on. Corruption was rampant. The, The economies were destroyed in the South for a variety of reasons. Bits of it blown up was one of them. Their cheap labor force, you know, no longer a cheap labor force. I mean, there, there was a whole... I, I see all those things here, but not quite the same. It doesn't... I don't feel like the planets are crushed because the war. I feel like the planets are crushed because they just suck. <laughs> it's just they're, just... they're just sucky places to live. And... And I can I can sympathize with that because Arizona is a sucky place to live if you don't have the technology. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, if you lived in Arizona yeah. 150 years ago, it would be as miserable as Paradiso. Uh, you know, with air conditioning yeah. and cars and stuff. You know. So it, then you've got to ask yourself why why would people live in Arizona? Well, they didn't start moving out until the technology made it made it viable. The people who did live here were exploiters. They were miners. They were, um, you know, there were there were a number of reasons. Uh, there was water in certain parts of, of Phoenix, for example. Uh, there was a river going through it, and um, which is now, you know, dammed up, and there isn't any water. <laughs> but it's another story. Um, so, you know, big. But there's lots of it that was completely dead empty. I mean, the shots of the train going through, you know, from wherever to Paradiso, that, that might as well be, you know, anywhere between the oasis of water and towns in Arizona. I mean, obviously, it's California that they shot that, and it's very similar, but... Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I seem to have lost that whole train of thought. Well, train, very good. Um, the, the, my answer to that question would be the people who can't live anywhere else. There are some of those. People, people, the people are obviously not going to choose to, to live somewhere where they're going to inevitably suffer this terrible bone disease or whatever else, you know, the allusion to there being other terraformed worlds where there were not the same problem, but other problems of this sort. Yeah, and that. clearly those who could easily get jobs or who had wealth or whatever would be living on the core planet. And out here, it's much more the have-nots or the people who are hoping to to find their fortune because they haven't made it yet. Yeah, I and and obviously there was there was a lot of that the western movement was people in search of a fortune people who couldn't couldn't stay where they were for a variety of reasons. I mean it it, it there is So they're uh, living a hard they're living a hard life in in the in the old west trying to live off inhospitable land and you know stay off predators and thieves and all bandits all the rest of it so it's it's the equivalent of that i think i I think yeah i think i think it is it you know a lot of people portray now narrative revised revisionist narrative that a lot of the people lived in the west because they were free of rules because that's what the (laughs) that's what the you know survivalist anti-government people want to try to conjure up that old west border too but most of it was people who were desperate for money and needed work and you know saw a chance for a fortune not get away from all the 
get away from all the government people. Um, but there were clearly some of them. Criminals in particular um, is a great place to keep heading, heading away from the law. Hmm. So, uh, and then, and and then, then the law catches of, up. And, and in terms of Westerns, the, the Westerns where they hold up the trains, well, maybe it's because I like trains, but it, they're, they're in some ways the most, you know, there's a great uh, train hold up sequence in uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, for example. So I'm sure the, the, that particular Western trope was something that they were keen to exploit on the show. Mm-hmm. Train robbery is a classic Western, uh, classic Western trope. Hmm. And, and of course the train, so this is the, this is part of where the analogy of the, the technology kind of fails me. Um, you know, the train is the thing that opened up the West in in many ways. I mean, yes, the wagon yeah. trains brought people out and they were the the hardiest of the hardy of the of the desperate of the the people to come out here and, you know, go for gold in California or whatever it happened to be. But then once they started doing those things, they had to get supplies, materials to and from, so the capitalistic aspect of it comes in and and we build the trains and then the trains can bring a lot more people and and take cattle and and carry all these things back and forth and that's what brought more people what eventually civilized the the west in the end well he seems to want to have something to say any anyway the disagree when you're talking about planets hundreds of planets the train isn't the train the spaceship is the train yes but and and the fact between planets that's the ship between continents it is it yes it but it it just seems like that I don't know how I would like to see the economics of this universe to understand why it wasn't easier if they had to ship the medicine in from off world. Why they didn't just ship it in where it needed to go instead of shipping it into a train depot? I really wouldn't like to spend much time on the economics, <laughs> to be honest. That, that, that seems to me like time spent on economics is time you aren't filling the screen with horses. <laughs> Horses are expensive. Only rich can afford horses now. <laughs> technology made things cheaper. See, technology made better things cheaper. And and I loved the force field window on the bar, but at the same mm-hmm. time, <laughs> like that's what the bar spent its technology money on was a force field window <laughs> instead of glass. It, it but maybe well. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get into yeah. the geology of the planet now, which I'm, you know, is equally something that is taking time away from horses. But there, there could be scarcity issues and there are, there are questions about the, you know, the, the relative advance. As technology advances, the relative costs are going to decrease. And so that could be an explanation of why you have this amazingly cool maglev train. Um, because with that technology, the actual infrastructure costs are much lower, for example. Or it could just be, it looks really cool. I think it's the latter. That's yeah, the- <laughs> but that's, that does it for me. I think that's. I think that is the. I think that is the latter. And and you know, one of the things that that Whedon is held up for is this kind of world building that he kind of does. And. And so I'm a little, I'd like it a little better world built, I suppose, but that's, that's not, uh, um, and, and also the comment that the sheriff made about the terraforming, when we're talking about the terraforming, kind of led me to believe that it all sucks. Didn't he say that every terraform planet has a 
problem like this, not this problem. He said a lot of them. I can't remember the exact words. The impression I got was that that he was saying it happened a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a, whether he was, whether he was being hyperbolic about it. That's a good question. That's a good question. I guess it remains to be seen when we look at the other, when we look at the other planets in the series. But I, I got that and I'm like, yeah, see that, that's kind of an anti-technology thing. It's like, wow, we did this amazing thing, but it kills us. No, no, (laughs) no, I, no, I, 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 th- I think it's a, I think it's a political thing. I think it's a question of there are flaws in it, and as as we kind of we kind of saw in this, it may be that no one is too bothered about fixing the flaws. At least no one who has the resources to fix the flaws are too bothered about it. And of course, that means the alliance. And yeah, we saw in this one, as you say, that the alliance was not too bothered about going after the bandits who had stolen the medicine from a bunch of settlers who were not that important mm-hmm. but on the other hand i i, I kind of think that it, that's still a gray area that's still a gray area because you're in, in if you want to talk about economics you're basically talking about systems in which there is scarcity and therefore you have to and the politics comes in because you have to have priorities and we don't know what it was that that alliance ship would have had to not do in order to go and sort out the theft of the the medicine and how many other people it would have affected and how much worse off they may have been. And so I, I agree that, that we don't we aren't given that information. It, the only information we're given is the way that the guy does it. Like the sheriff's asking that they help with a thing and he's like, yeah, not our problem. So, I mean, it's very dismissive. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not humanitarian. It, 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 well, in any it, way. it is. It is. And, and I and I, I'm not saying there is no right and wrong. I just think that it's not as black and white as perhaps the executives wanted it to be and it's when we are told something about the way the world is what we are getting is a particular perspective and so the sheriff's perspective will be one thing the you know the guy the guy on the alliance ship will have another perspective about what's important or what's not important mal will have a perspective shepherd book will have a perspective and will have a perspective etc etc um it comes back to that thing about what whedon said in the about the the pilot episode of it being all about nine people who look into the blackness of space and see nine different things mm. uh one quick question about mal that i forgot to mention while we were discussing his moral ambiguity uh jane is insistent that mal will turn rever in yeah. is that is that jane or is his his failings as a human being seeing that or or would mal do it i i i think what you have to take from that is that jane sees jane sees in mal what they have in common or what he thinks they have in common because it's it's inter- it's interesting isn't it that jane is when when you complain about mal jane is a a considerably more unsympathetic character Absolutely. at least to me and yet there's still there is still something likable about him and he's quite he was quite popular with the the eventual firefly audience so um again it's a man with a perspective and so would he turn river in jane absolutely mal yeah, yeah. i don't know in a flash no and but we know that jane thinks he would I, and I have jane a... would admire yeah. that I have a and, feeling. And that, that goes some way to explaining what Jane is doing there, because I mean, there are two. There are two questions about why Jane is on Serenity. One is what does what does he see in it for himself, because he obviously doesn't share 
Mao's code, or he doesn't, he and he doesn't have that kind of discipline that Zoe and Mal have because of their military service. But there's also the question of why has Mal invited Jane onto the crew, um, which you know we won't answer just yet. But Tandy have a killer. Obviously, he has certain skills. <laughs> but as we as we see in the in the train job here, he's he's pretty keen to abandon Mal at the earliest opportunity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again you know it's kind of another it's kind of another trope that allows you in a show to have a hero and then have part of the entourage be someone who will do things that the hero would not do but are necessary parts to resolve the story i.e. I've got a handy killer the difference here is that we can see yeah, that Mal yeah, is definitely yeah, a killer too and and what it what it says what what you the question you have to a- answer and I think you you basically said this so I'm I'm just beating a dead horse is you know what what is the what's the moral status of I know I need a killer ergo I hire a killer is that any different really than dang well I'm going to kill somebody I'm well, just going to use think, another person to do it I think it is I mean I'm sure I'm sure it's something I I can't think of an example I'm sure it's something that goes back earlier than. 1975 or so um because the example that springs to my mind is in the is in the spencer series of books by robert b parker where Mm -hmm. he brings in a a character hawk who is has some similarities to to spencer who is kind of in some ways a a western hero i mean he's a he's a gumshoe in the mold of uh, philip marlowe but he's a man with a, a code like mal and he's a man of violence and he does violent things and we're asked to sympathize because he has a code and he sticks to his code and then Hawk is introduced and he's a man who does some things that Spencer wouldn't do and in some ways that is a, a, a convenience in story terms and I think again 1970s 77 I guess ish um, when you get Leela introduced to Doctor Who there is a, a, a role for her going round um threatening people at mm-hmm. least uh with violence and death not to put too fine a point on it yeah it, which the doctor won't do but there's definitely a, a, a scene i recollect in uh in the horror fang rock where i just thought the doctor is saying one thing he's 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 deploring his, her violence on the one hand but on the other he's absolutely taking advantage yeah of the fact that he has his own pet killer Yes, and that's what you're saying. Yeah, although I'll I'll try to I'll try to defend the doctor here. I I think yes, Leela is a convenience because she gets to do the violence and the writer. So it's a convenience for the writers to have that option hmm. available to them. In the doctor's case, I feel like he well, first off, she stowed away. But but second off, the doctor has her on board to civilize her. He does have an agenda with Leela. It's not that I have a convenient killer on board. In- he also has an interest in not civilizing her too fast because I, there are certain benefits. I think of that's a, a savage came later. Does that make sense? So in other words, you 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 have her on board. You go out on a thing. You're trying to teach her. You're trying to teach her business. And then the fact that she's handy in a fight, like yeah, okay, that's good. That helps me. But it's not it's not what his first goal is. I, I'm granted, wondering granted. what Mal's first goal is for having Jane. I think it's just that. I need somebody to do 
the dirty work, who's not afraid to do the dirty work. So, I mean, it, it's less pure than, no, I've, I've brought Jane on board to teach him not to be a killer. Yes, it's handy that he is a killer, and I'm going to use that. But Yeah, but, but, that, I, but that's, not, that's, not, that's not a goal for Mal. And similarly, both Key and Zoe are trained to do these things anyway. So mm. he's, he's a third pair of hands rather than being someone who'll do something they wouldn't do themselves. Alternatively, you could say Mal and Zoe are trained killers. They know that killing is a necessary thing. They need a third pair of hands. They need to find a third pair of hands that will kill. That's another way to take a look at it. And then they, they couldn't find another brown-coated soldier who was willing to be a pirate, so they get a complete amoral mercenary. I, I don't. I mean, that, that that's another possibility. That you know, the job requirement here is that you're not too not too fussy about what we do sometimes. Mm, so. Yeah. So, uh, I I'll, I'll just say about the the piloty the the pilot nature of this before I finish off anything I have to say. Um, it, it it's clear like i said in some ways this is a better pilot because i i feel like i've got i'm a little better level set than i was in the first one but despite a lot of exposition that that definitely feels like we're trying to do pilot number two i still really don't have a good feel for why the heck book simon a river on this ship there's absolutely no mention of that that i can see oh we they they mentioned you know that they're on why simon a river are on the Ship. Well, from Serenity, right? From Serenity, but if you're looking at this then as the you first that, episode. Well, you get that info dump at the beginning with River's flashback. That says why she's running. It doesn't say why she's on the ship. Why, why is Mal... Why did Mal take them in? You know, why Why yeah, is yeah. there a... Is the preacher traveling... Is he a member of the crew or is he a passenger? You don't know that. Yeah, I th- I mean, I think that's an interesting question because I've I've never watched this episode without having seen... Serenity first, if you see what I mean. Right. The first time I saw this, I had already seen Serenity. Therefore, I will never know what this is like as an introductory episode. Watching it this time, I was giving it some careful thought because obviously that is one of the interesting things about it. And I still think that this is really quite impressive for a number of reasons. First of all, I think it is as... It, I mean, it's different from Serenity... In, is it a better pilot or not? I don't know, because there are things that I really like about Serenity, and they include the fact that by having a, a double length to slow the pace down, you get to explore a lot more the characters and and the world they're in. And, and you know, I, I like the plot of it. I like, I like the episode Serenity, but I also think this is a really effective action adventure story with with you know a, it's it's a western with a train robbery in it which is fantastic <laughs> so i i was looking at all those all those things and thinking actually that all the info dump stuff is quite clever because it's done in a way that sort of serves two masters because it it works as episode two if you have seen serenity it's as i say it's an exciting train robbery story and most of the exposition is reinforcement and it's i mean one of the things whedon says is you treat the first six episodes of your show like the pilot because you don't know that anyone tuning in to second or third or whatever episode has seen the first one Mm. and so you need enough in there to to keep them up to speed and then obviously 
you know in this in this one in particular you need to make sure you cover all of the all of the characters so each one has a little something to do and it's pretty effective in terms of that so um, in, in a way it's a bit like and and this is relevant to this episode as well it's a bit like shooting for full screen in widescreen you don't quite know how your audience is going to see this mm. because so here's a question you you were watching on streaming with the narration so you're watching the network version of this i guess was it was it in widescreen i did not notice okay well that's interesting the network did not want this in widescreen so they were shooting it with they were shooting it in widescreen with in mind that it would be shown in 4.3 which wasn't that uncommon well it probably was quite uncommon by 2002 um but Certainly, a lot of shows in the '90s were aired in 4:3, and they would have known that shows were going to be aired in 4:3. But they still shot them in widescreen, or at least you know protected for being able to show them full widescreen. And a great example of this, because I'm enjoying it at the minute, is The X Files. I'm watching season two of The X Files in widescreen, and it looks fantastic. But it was always previously released, and it was always shown in. Four three, and I had right. always assumed that was that was the good. So there's, there's I something. I thought the fonts clever. got you. Yeah, the fonts annoyed me, but that that doesn't really apply in the in the case of Firefly. Um, I would never have guessed that Firefly was shot. The, the exception is Serenity, where they deliberately shot the whole thing in widescreen. But I would never have guessed that they that they were that they were shooting it four three and. But they were protecting for widescreen because at that point they had in mind that there would be a DVD release, and I guess they must be have been realizing that that might be their best bet of 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 getting the show that they wanted to make rather than the show that the network wanted them to make. But I I think it's an example of them really being able to serve the two masters well because watching this in the in the Blu-ray set. It's a great episode too. Hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll try to find out whether or not it's um, widescreen. I'll try to pay attention to that. I I've got to say that I watch enough old television. Um, and so you I tune out the black bars. I, I tune that out. I, I completely tune it out. It doesn't um it doesn't really bother me. It's very rare that I see widescreen that the cinematography is good enough that I notice it. And that's what you got to do. It, hmm. It's got to it's got to pop somehow. For me to go, oh, yeah, we're watching a nice, nice widescreen shot. Um, particularly if you which see which isn't nece- it doesn't necessarily serve the story. If you know, if what's happening there is, it's it's a bit like I, I often think with scores that a good score is one that you shouldn't notice. Mm, oh, oh, we could probably have an hours of debate on that one. I uh, I I love a good score. I think that I love adds, a good score too. Adds so much to a movie. Um, I agree. I agree, but you shouldn't be thinking about it while you're watching. And in I, some I ways, trouble I, like I, the don't think, I don't think this is or... a golden rule, but the the cinematography is the same. Um, well, it's widescreen. Just FYI. <laughs> oh, on the on the streaming. Yeah, it's widescreen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it at a at a 90 degree angle almost here, but it's yeah, it's widescreen. Um, okay, I don't know that I have anything else. I mean, the only other thing to say about... I mean, obviously, it probably worked out that I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, the only other thing that, that popped out at me was the dialogue, which is particular. I mean, obviously, Whedon 
This is co-written by Joss Whedon, Whedon and uh, Tim Minear. And he's, he obviously has a good ear for dialogue. But this is particularly, this is like West Wing level dialogue. It's, it's excellent, I think. Hmm. And, and I want to say, I did not, if it comes off this way, in the comments I said, it's not that I disliked the episode. I, I, I did enjoy watching the episode by and large. It's just, it's the hook that doesn't get me. So when I say I watched some and I kind of drifted off, that's it. It didn't, it doesn't hook me to go, you know something? So amazing. Those characters are so awesome. I have totally got to be back here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. It doesn't do that for me. I, I, I think I can say that in, in of Fair the enough. episodes I remember watching, I enjoyed watching them, but I wouldn't make an effort to go see them. So, you know, this is a different... I mean, it's it's interesting how you come to these things because I probably like a lot of people with Firefly, given that it didn't hit a, a high audience rating when it was actually broadcast. I came to it on DVD because its reputation was so good that I thought, well, I need to get... I need to, And then you've got the discs there. And so, obviously, you don't have to make a special effort to come back for the next one. And, mm-hmm. in fact, you think, I, I probably better keep watching it because I've got the thing now. Um, whereas if I think about something like The West Wing, I, I watched the first episode and I thought, well, this is okay. And then I missed a few after that because I didn't think it was the best thing ever. Obviously, I was wrong. It was the best thing ever. But at that point, <laughs> I hadn't kind of got into it. And so the advantage of having that stack of discs there where you can just slip the next one in whenever you're in the mood for is you've no, you've no hurdle to overcome. And, and uh, I probably don't think I did appreciate how good the show was until I'd viewed it quite a few times. Hmm. And maybe, I'm not saying you will, I'm not saying you will come to it, but, it, it, you know, I'm also not necessarily saying by the stage that you're at after seeing a couple of episodes, I was necessarily as rabidly fanatical about it as I am today. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, the, that's the, the interesting thing about this exercise of going through these episodes and watching them and, and really thinking about them. And, and, you know, sometimes sometimes that process leads you to uh, a greater appreciation of something. And sometimes mm-hmm. that process leads you to the, the dire, dire depths of feeling like, oh, do I have to watch those last three episodes of Space 1999? <laughs> <laughs> But I do, because I'm going to. But but you know that's that is. Um, and when you've watched The Man from Atlantis, then nothing can be that bad. <laughs> so bad we've not finished The Man from Atlantis. We've not actually finished The Man from Atlantis. There are a few more episodes. You watched a lot more than I did. Yeah. Well, it, it's and Ben just refuses. <laughs> <laughs> we'll not watch anymore. I don't know. I'm going to have to drag David in and go, okay, we're going to finish these off just because my sense of my OCD won't allow me to <laughs> leave the show undone. Anyway, um, I forgot anything else. I think the next episode is Bushwhacked, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. Yep. And uh, so, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol.
Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. The heist well, goes mostly the to plan. Firefly is correct. It's Firefly's type ship. I guess. I, I, I'm, you said I'll, the Firefly. I did. I'm. I'm going to change it to the Serenity, which no, was, you, it would no article if you're calling it Serenity. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to change it here on the fly. <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. Fine. I'm just saying it's, it's all good. It's all good. You could say the Serenity. You'd say the Enterprise or the oh. the in in American English. You would anyway. God, I'm not something about the Enterprise. Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll um, the, uh, the, the, uh, no. <laughs> Isn't that because it's, it's the USS Enterprise or something like that? I don't know. I, I, would you call it the Bodie McBoatface overhead? I mean, I, <laughs> I think I would. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's going on the bloopers at the end. I'm going to try this again.